0: We better get healthy and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
1: I want to take you back in time, maybe back before you were born. It's summertime, 1984. I am at Vegetarian Summerfest sitting in a hallway with my 16 month old baby and a very tall man walked past and someone leaned over and whispered to me, that's a medical doctor. And I remember thinking, we have a medical doctor at a vegan event. Everything is going to change now. Well, pretty much everything has changed, but Dr. Michael Clapper was the first MD I ever saw to walk into one of our events. And guess what? Today, he is the guest on this program. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan program. And I am so honored to be bringing onto the show today Dr. Michael Clapper, I don't know that he was the first American medical doctor in the 20th century to be vegan, but he was certainly one of the first, and he has been working for this cause ever since. Michael Clapper, MD, is director of the Moving Medicine Forward Initiative. He is leading this initiative aimed at improving the health of our population by providing nutrition education in medical schools. Dr. Clapper brings to Moving Medicine Forward 46 years as a primary care physician, 35 of which have centered upon applying plant based nutrition to arrest and often reverse chronic disease. A longtime radio host and a pilot, Dr. Clapper has served as nutrition advisor to NASA's programs for space colonists on the moon and Mars, and on the Nutrition Task Force of the American Medical Students Association. Welcome, Dr. Clapper.
2: Thank you, Victoria. It's great to be with you and your listeners. I've wanted to do this podcast for a long time, and it's nice that it's finally here. Good it to hear your voice. It
1: is so nice, and you are in upstate New York, where you were just at a conference about climate and food?
2: Oh, absolutely. It was a remarkable conference. Uh, The issue of our food choices driving the global warming phenomenon is, is coming to the surface big time. And we have a uh, we had a stellar uh, uh, collection of uh, experts, uh, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, uh, So Nelson Campbell was here, Dr. Silas Rao, um, a, a whole group of uh, environmentalists, uh, uh, Jody Cass, uh, real movers and shakers in the movement. We spent two and a half days brainstorming on how we can get the message across to everyone, basically, and it's quite an audience uh, that it's time for us as individuals for our health, but more importantly uh, as a species, to evolve our diets uh, to ones based really on plants, uh, if not exclusively, uh, almost uh, for sure. So it's, that's quite a task ahead of us, but we have no choice, uh, the world is getting warmer and warmer. I just read uh, in Archangel on the Arctic Circle yesterday, it was 84 degrees and that's frightening. And so uh, it's time for everyone to get serious about this. If uh, 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 we all work together, then uh, we can do a lot to make things better.
1: I love it that this conference happened, and I love all those people whose names you mentioned. But I almost wish you had named a lot of people that I've never heard of, because I do feel that the conventional environmental world is very, very slow to come on board with the message about food choices. What are you seeing?
2: Uh, yes, I have to agree with you. Oh, there were uh, 20 people in attendance uh, that I did not uh, mention, and I can uh, tell you some of them. Uh, uh, Aaron Beale uh, from Johns Hopkins uh, Climate Center, a uh, lovely man, um, uh, Lassie Barons from an organization uh, called uh, 50 by 40, and as uh, to reduce livestock population on this planet 50% by 2040. Uh, We had uh, uh, Jim Lehner from uh, the uh, Earth uh, Legal Defense Fund. Uh, We had uh, several attorneys, uh, climate scientists. Uh, There were quite a number of folks. uh, Oh, and we had four physicians, Dr. Scott Stoll, Dr. Ron Weiss, uh, uh, Dr. uh, Diego Ponyman from the Somos Movement in uh, New York City. Yeah, he's uh, in my neighborhood. Yes, right. So he was there uh, because we've got to get the people understanding how important this is for them as individuals to evolve to a plant-based diet. So it was quite uh, quite lively, uh, but to somehow get this message across without alienating all the. Th- farmers and ranchers and uh, food processors uh, whose lives are dependent upon producing animal flesh. Uh, That is quite a task but we're all on the same planet. We've got to make some kind of accommodation. This is not going to be easy. The invested interests want to keep things going as they are but uh, the way things are going as they are, uh, the world is getting hotter and hotter and I fear this summer is going to be just hellacious. Uh, well, we're already getting signs of that uh, from the temperatures we're already seeing. The Australians just coming out of their summer had the hottest summer on record and I think we're going to see blazing heat and the, uh, we have this record snowfall this winter, um, but half of it's gone already. It's melting on the mountainsides very, very fast because it's so hot. And so they're talking about record droughts. I think this is going to be the summer that's going to get everybody's attention, even the climate deniers and the global warming skeptics. I think uh, by the time this summer is over, they're going to realize we've got a major problem. and We're behind the curve. Uh, hopefully, there's still time to uh, to stabilize the, uh, the spaceship we
1: on. Yes. And what specific objectives, what kinds of activities and, and, and changes and incremental changes have you seen that perhaps the farming, ranching, food processing people might be open to? Do we have any sort of crack in a door?
2: It's going to take a major leap of vision and imagination. Uh, Could this be done? Absolutely, this could be. Uh, uh, The uh, human race realized that uh, large-scale animal agriculture is the driving force uh, behind the uh, global warming phenomenon we're facing. I mean, the major environmental destructive uh, processes, deforestation, soil erosion, water pollution, water depletion, they're all driven by our insatiable lust for uh, for animal tissue on our plates. Uh, That's why the forests are being cut down the soils of the Midwest are eroding into the rivers off corn and soybean alfalfa fields, who uh, uh, grow animal fodder for, for meat. Uh, most water is used to irrigate corn, soybeans, and alfalfa in North America. Most water is polluted by herbicides and pesticides and manure running off of of, of uh, feedlots, uh, and the uh, major nation of everyone, the public. Uh, to change what they put in their shopping basket, what they order in the restaurant has to change, and again, uh, the political and economic issues of the, uh, of, the uh, uh, of the economics involved uh, also have to change as well we got a lot of work uh we've got a big yeah. mountain to climb uh and but with the internet and young people and goodwill and a little desperation yeah, you know, we might just pull it out but uh i'm cons- every little child i see being pushed in a stroller i want to run up and, ap- and apologize for what we've done to uh, their world and then to uh to promise to uh, to do the best i can to leave them a livable world we've uh uh, really caused a lot of damage here. We've got to stop damaging and start healing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what this this conference was about.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for letting us in on all of that. So, Michael, I know that when you were a young resident, I believe it was, or intern, mm-hmm. you witnessed a surgery that mm-hmm. changed how you looked at food. Can you tell us that story? <laughs>
2: Oh, yes. I was a resident in anesthesiology, I was going to be an anesthesiologist, and I was on the cardiovascular anesthesia service at Vancouver General Hospital, and uh, I'm day after day putting people to sleep and watching surgeons open up uh, the chest of these people and their arteries and pull this yellow greasy guck out of their arteries called atherosclerosis. And uh, I was saying, "What is that stuff?" And one night, I'm making my pre-operative rounds at the hospital to see my patients for upcoming surgery. And back then, at Vancouver General, if you, uh, came in a couple days before surgery for preoperative testing, et cetera. And you weren't in desperate uh, physical straits. You were. They would give you a day pass to go out with your family uh, before you had the surgery. And I'm uh, making rounds one evening in the hospital, and a patient had come in uh, who had been out on a day pass, scheduled for a bypass in two days. And uh, the nurse came up to me and said, uh, this man, Mr. Phillips, uh, needs some blood tests drawn. He wasn't in the room when the tech came by. Would I mind drawing the blood? I said, sure. So I drew a couple of tubes of blood, put them out at the nurse's station while I finished the uh, rounds on other patients. As I came by to pick up the blood tubes to take them down to the lab, I looked at the blood tubes and I did a double-take. Uh, normally when you draw blood into a glass tube, the red clot settles to the bottom and the liquid part of the serum rises up to the top and normally it's crystal clear. You can see read newsprint through normal serum. This man's serum was far from clear, it was milky white, it looked like Elmer's glue, it stuck to the sides of the tube when I shook it. I went back to his bed. I said, Mr. Phillips, do, when you were out with your family, did you stop and eat before you came back? He said, yes. I said, what did you have? He said, oh, I had a cheeseburger and a milkshake. And when he said that, I realized what I was looking at was all the fat in the burger, the butter fat in the cheese, the egg yolk, and the mayonnaise, the vegetable oil, and the fries, all this fat had oozed out into his blood and turned this blood, man's blood fatty. It's called lipemia. And it happens every time you eat a fatty meal. Well, this was uh, pretty... Uh, Uh, dramatic, you know, everybody has this wave of fat. You don't see it, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Everybody has a wave of fat that goes to their bloodstream after you eat a meal like that. How how can you not? Where's the fat going to go? But we don't don't, uh, feel it. We don't see it. Uh, You may feel greasy after you eat uh, a pizza or a burger, and and if you do, it's because you really are, actually. That that fat really is flowing through your system. And during that time, it's doing great damage. It's injuring the walls of our arteries, setting us up for atherosclerotic plaque. As it flows through uh, the fat stores on our belly, it sticks there, makes us more obese. As it flows through our muscles, it, it clogs up our insulin receptors, setting us up for diabetes. This is not a good thing. And, and people do this three times a day, bacon and eggs for breakfast, and a cheeseburger for lunch, and fried chicken for dinner, ice cream for dessert. Uh, we're, we're sending wave after wave of fat through our bloodstream, month after month, year after year. Well, you do that for 20, 30, 40 years, so you can't be shocked when things start clogging up. And a couple days later, we took him down to the operating room. I put him to sleep and I saw exactly uh, what that kind of eating style did. The surgeon opened up his uh, arteries and they uh, uh, and, and out comes this yellow slithery stuff uh, that when the surgeon pulled it out, it, uh, it kind of shimmered. And I thought to myself, man, this stuff looks like chicken fat. And a little voice on my shoulder said, there's a good reason why it looks like chicken fat, doctor. It is chicken fat (laughs) and cow fat and pig fat, the fat of every other slow animal that was walking past this man's table when he had a fork in his hand. And um, this really... Uh, made quite an impression. Uh, I was aware of the of the disease, and there were already studies in the medical literature uh, describing this and and showing that a plant based diet will melt this plaque away. Uh, and this is very important, uh, as Dr. Esselstyn was to prove later. Uh, but uh, this made an impression on me, my dad died of clogged arteries and uh, at that time he was already showing signs of angina and a blue leg and, and I knew I was going to be laying on that operating table with that striker saw going up my sternum and I didn't want that. I, I saw those folks when they woke up in the recovery room, I didn't want to be one of them. and So I changed my diet, I had a couple other clues that it was time to stop eating animals. And when I did, it was just remarkable. Boy, my body loved a plant-based diet. It was, it was oatmeal and fruit for breakfast and lunches and dinners of colorful salads and hearty vegetable uh, soups and steamed veggies and, and bean chilies and fruits for dessert. It was not a diet of deprivation. But boy, within 12 weeks, uh, a 20-pound spare tire of fat melted off my waist, my high blood pressure went to normal, my high cholesterol went to normal, and I felt great waking up in a nice, lean, light body every day, so uh, there was no turning back for me. In fact, I was so impressed that I realized I didn't want to be an anesthesiologist. Uh, I wanted to, you know, didn't want to spend my rest of my career putting people to sleep. I'd rather go back to general practice and help them wake up. So, (laughs) uh, so I did, and I've been the happiest doctor, happiest GP I know, because my patients get healthy, and now I know what to tell them, and uh, the people adopt this kind of diet, and they get healthy too. So it was quite a. a day of transformation in the operating room, and uh, haven't looked back since.
1: Well, God bless Mr. Phillips. It's amazing Indeed. how we can, oh, we influence people and don't know where. You that don't know, going you to go. know. You never so know. You never know. So, looking back on all these years in medicine, all these years as a vegan, mm-hmm. what do you know now that you didn't know ten years, twenty years ago, thirty years ago?
2: Oh my. Well as I said how beautifully our human body runs on a whole food plant based diet and it's something that I never really thought about but we we have basically the same digestive system that our gorilla and bonobo cousins have, and they're up in the trees eating leaves and fruits, and they eat a tremendous amount of herbage uh, every day and pass these lovely soft stools, and I've never had a gorilla in the office with with hemorrhoids or diverticulosis, Uh, and uh, the, the plant eaters seem to do quite well. Uh, and but but seriously, um, the a whole food plant based diet, and and when I say whole food, I, I'm you know you can't do this on. And granola bars and energy drinks and Oreo cookies. This has to be real live food like it grew out of the garden, but if you keep your belly full of that kind of uh, whole plant food, uh, the body just thrives and, and you can't hold uh, obesity on it. You, you wind up with a lean, healthy body with normal blood pressures and normal blood sugars. So uh, as a therapeutic tool uh, for patients who come into my office with obesity and diabetes and clogged arteries and sore joints. Uh, the, one, the one thing that I indelibly learned was the therapeutic power of this kind of diet. Uh, you, you get someone on this really whole food, plant based diet, and within days the obesity starts to melt away and the arteries open up and the high blood pressure comes down and the insulin receptors clear out and the diabetes goes away and the joints stop hurting and the psoriatic skin clears up and the asthmatic lungs wheeze less the migraine headaches go away the colitis settles down and they turn into normal healthy people who don't need a lot of pills and potions and procedures and and you, yeah, I tell my patients I want to see you in two places, two in two places only at the health food store where you're buying your tempeh, and on the bike path where I'll wave to you. That's not the only place I really want to see you, folks. Uh, and and I'm and I'm, and I'm, and I'm pretty much serious when I say that because you really shouldn't need to see your doctor on a regular basis if you're really running your body on proper fuel. So uh, it's, the, it's the magic of health that appears when, uh, when people eat the diet that we really designed to consume.
1: So we know that a lot of the benefits come from not having the animal foods. You've talked sure. about the fat. We know that, that animal protein uh, turns on cancer genes. But what about plants? Mm-hmm. What do they do?
2: Oh my, uh, you can spend a lifetime, and yeah, many of my colleagues in nutritional biochemistry do exactly that. You know, the, the, the biochemistry, the physiology of what plants do in our body, uh, it's like, like fractals, uh, the closer you look the more it breaks up into smaller and smaller pieces, and, and each one is a shiny little mystery and, and a clue into how this wonderful universe and this amazing body works and uh, you could, I seriously have, uh, for colleagues who just study the the, the fats, the, the lipids in plants, the omega-3s, the omega-6s, the omega-9s, et cetera, and omega-9s, etc., all the things they do from turning off inflammation to making our cell membranes strong to uh, regulating our hormone levels. Uh, again, you can you can spend days and days just cataloging the effects of, of, of uh, these molecules from the fat world. Then you turn to, as you said, the proteins and every one of the amino acids. That Makes up these proteins has a different fate, and they are involved in different reactions, from from immunity to cell reproduction to gene expression, uh, the uh, the carbohydrate metabolism. Well, we are sugar burning organisms. Are despite all the craziness out there about paleo diets and keto diets and all of that, and people are, are, oh, don't want to eat those carbs. Yes, you want to eat those carbohydrates. We are carbohydrate-burning organisms. Our mitochondria burn carbohydrates. Fat is an emergency fuel. Uh, and uh, it's okay to burn it for a few days, a week or so to be in ketosis. But don't want to stay in ketosis week after week. It's, a, it's an emergency state. Then people need to realize that uh, that uh, whole food, whole plants-based diet is a high carbohydrate diet because nature makes plants out of carbohydrates. That's what the leaves and stems and roots are made of, and it's okay to eat them. They will not turn into fat. They cannot turn into fat. The pure carbohydrates, when eaten on their own, Uh, and for that reason, the uh carbohydrates uh not only are the fuel we burn but the but the cells uh, throw sugars back and forth as signaling molecules to turn uh, reactions on and off again the closer you look the more you see so what do plants do they run this astoundingly complex body beautifully and again i haven't uh, uh, I've been a vegan for 38 years now and haven't uh, needed to eat any animals, and I work just fine. I run five miles and and feel great. So plants do, you know, pick something wonderful in the body and plants do it.
1: No, oh, that's beautiful. And it is true, when you've seen people do this for many, many years, it actually seems to work. Who'd have thought it?
2: Indeed. <laughs> Uh, but, but every gorilla knows that. Every giraffe knows that. Uh, uh, that you know, that's the point. Uh, we, are, we are meant to run on plans.
1: So we, we do have a break coming up in just a minute. And I don't want to get you started on some <laughs> wonderful other topic. Okay. But I am interested. We know about heart disease. We know mm. that this is the only way that has ever been shown to actually reverse that. Absolutely. We know there's there's some good information a, about uh, blood pressure and, and Alzheimer's and certain cancers. It's seeming that people are coming up curing autoimmune disease, all kinds of things. And then there are other people saying, just slow down a minute. You don't want to make this a panacea. It's still Earth. People get sick, let's not overpromise. So, I'm going to say let's just hold that until after the break, which I do believe is coming up in 20 seconds. And then we'll come back and talk more with this remarkable human being, Dr. Michael Clapper. If you didn't know him yet, don't you love him already? He's very, very easy to love. And what he's doing now, moving medicine forward, means that he's not just talking to vegans and vegetarians and coming on shows like this one. He is out there where the doctors of the future are being trained. And when he says he's teaching them nutrition, he's not teaching them nutrition. He's teaching them this. He's teaching them the truth about food and what it does to our bodies. More after the break.
0: We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, Please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Reverend Ogan Holder, taken from a talk at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Vulnerability is very uncomfortable. But as we know from so many teachings by so many people and from our own experience, the only way we will ever experience true connection is to be vulnerable, to be open. And to say. what we say to ourselves, but when we're vulnerable, we risk being hurt. Well, you only risk being hurt, again, if you don't get a full understanding of how love works. Nothing and no one can hurt you. Nothing and no one is against you. And everything that happens in your life, as I always say, And I will always sing. So if I keep saying it and you keep hearing it and you get tired of me hearing it, I apologize. But everything happens in our life as an opportunity for us to show up as God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Experts say picking up a pen and paper and writing things down can have some amazing benefits. Spark some creativity by sketching, doodling, and writing down what you want in life with a set of Unity Inspiration Notepads. They come in three inspirational designs with themes of gratitude, intention setting, and visualization. These are great tools to keep on your desk and use every day. Just 12 dollars for a set of three. Pick up yours today at unityonline.org slash shop. Experience Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James every Monday at 4 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. In today's busy world, it's easy to get overwhelmed and disconnected. Tune in to the show for practical tips on how to handle whatever life throws at you. Dr. James welcomes some interesting guests and will help you get through any challenges you have with grace. Join the show live or listen later on demand right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
1: Hello, my friends. It is such an honor and a privilege to be speaking with you this hour. I do want to invite you to visit the Main Street Vegan website, MainStreetVegan.net, the blog this week is from Deanna Myler, PhD, and it's called Managing Chronic Pain with a Vegan Diet. She's focusing particularly on endometriosis. So if that is of any interest, do take a look and also check out our film, A Prayer for Compassion. This is to interest people who identify as religious or spiritual In Going Vegan for the animals, for the planet, and for the body temple. So you can watch the trailer there we're going to be having screenings all over everywhere uh going to be in uh, London the 23rd of May at the Prince Charles Theater in Leicester Square so if that's your part of the world or you know somebody there please let them know about a prayer for compassion and if you would like to show the film wherever you live you can do that at absolutely no cost just be in touch you can contact me through MainStreetVegan.net. So, Dr. Clapper, just talking about uh, managing chronic pain, is that something that there's some pretty good evidence on with the plant-centered diet?
2: Yes, it's another one of those who to thunk. You know, nobody mentioned a thing about that to me in medical school, but absolutely, when people eat an animal-based diet and they uh, load their tissues up uh, with these uh, omega-6 fats and these uh, prostaglandins that are in the animal muscle, uh, these are pro-inflammatory, these turn on inflammation, uh, and they also uh, stimulate the nerve endings that uh, carry pain impulses. and. Now, one of the best things, in fact, my left eyebrow no longer goes up even a quarter of an inch after a patient of mine who has gone to a plant-based diet. Uh I say, you know, my joints stopped hurting. I don't wake up all sore in the morning anymore. And I'll say, yep, that's right. Because the makeup of their entire body's tissues has changed. And those pain signaling molecules really recede. And absolutely. It's, I can't say, you know, if you've got a bad lumbar disc or something that... Uh, Uh, is uh, pushing on a nerve or you got a broken arm. I mean, you know, that's a mechanical issue that needs to be fixed. But if it's that low grade inflammatory pain that people have, that frequently gets better on a vegan diet, absolutely.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. So when you're working with patients, you are a medical doctor Mm -hmm. and medical doctors use drugs and surgical procedures Mm -hmm. for the most part to help people. And yet, when I, as a layperson, look out at the world, particularly people in our age group, I mean, they're just eating pills the way people who don't like how their breath smells eat Tic Tacs. What is going on with this?
2: Oh, my. Uh, A couple of things is going on. This is the uh, manifestation of some... Untruths, if I must say. Uh, certainly, our diet, as I mentioned, an animal-based diet full of sugar and animal muscle, is is a pro-inflammatory diet that generates a lot of diseases for sure. Uh, and many of these uh, have a lot of pain involved. Uh, but more than that, uh, these uh, this type of uh, standard American diet causes real diseases, real diabetes, real clogged arteries, real autoimmune diseases and my colleagues bless them uh, they it's stunning to me it's eye watering as they say in new zealand that uh, we've been doctors practice medicine like what their patients are eating it has no effect on these diseases and it's it's stunning because the truth is and, and as I go around to the medical schools and talk to the young students, you know, I say, you know, we've been treating diet like Voldemort in in the Harry Potter movies, you know, the name that must not be spoken. Ooh, don't don't ask about what the patient's eating. We're Americans; we can eat whatever we want. Yes, I tell them, ask what the patient's eating. That's why the that person sitting in front of you, obese and diabetic and clogged up and hypertensive and inflamed because of what they're running through their body tissues every few hours. It's the food. It's the food. is the food. And I tell them, before you order another $1,000 scan and another $500 panel blood test, stop. Ask them what they ate yesterday. Have them take you through their typical eating day. And if it's full of burgers and buffalo wings and pepperoni pizzas, that's the issue. Stop right there. Make it clear to them that's the source of their disease. Send them to the plant-based dietitian down the hall. Let, let that dietitian take them shopping, explain what needs to be in their freezer, etc. And see the patient back in a month and see if they're feeling better. That, that's how medicine needs to be practiced. But because doctors aren't taught about nutrition, they're, they, they have contempt for it. They think it's a sissy science, it's not real medicine. Uh, and, and plus, the doctors are eating it themselves. They're, they're eating their pizzas and the burgers and the steaks and the lobsters. They're not going to tell their patients not to eat it. And and for those three reasons, they let their patients eat this pathogenic diet, and when the patient gets inflamed and their arteries clogged, all they know well, let, let's let's uh, give them an anti-inflammatory for their pain. Let's uh, give them a statin to to lower their cholesterol. Let's you know and poison their liver enzymes that that make their own cholesterol, uh, and. And they're refusing to get to the bottom of the problem. It's the food. It's the diet. And and because of that, it's almost a willful ignorance at this point um, on the part of my colleagues. That that the, you know, it's stunning to me that medical science can recognize a genetic mismatch on gene A twenty one on chromosome 14, boy, that we can identify with precision. But the thought that cheeseburgers and pepperoni peaches are clogging up our patients' arteries, this is somehow too abstruse for my colleagues uh, to understand. And, and it's not funny anymore. And, and, and without being obnoxious and aggressive, I'm angry at my, at my profession. It's embarrassing. Uh, to be a doctor and and to practice medicine uh, as if our patient's diet is not the driving force. After all this time, we know more than that now. And and in fact, I show a slide to the medical students uh, from the uh, uh, statement of ethics in the American Medical Association. The physician shall keep abreast of the latest advances in medical science and share this information with our patients. We are mandated to tell our patients, clean up your diet. And yet my colleagues refuse to, to learn this. And uh, so it, it's a, it's dreadful. It's a tragedy because real patients are dying on real operating tables from operations on their arteries that they really don't need, that they could melt that plaque away with a plant-based diet. We now know that. And to withhold this information from our patients is unethical. And and I mean that, that word intentionally, as the statement of ethics tells us, it's unethical to withhold this from our patients any longer. So that's why uh, we've started our Moving Medicine Forward initiative to go around to the medical schools. And I give those young students the lecture I was somebody had given me 50 years ago. It would have changed every diagnosis I made, every treatment plan I recommended. And, and I tell them, you, you want to be a happy physician. I'm the happiest doctor I know. My, my patients get healthy. And, and that's, isn't that why you went into medicine? And I show a slide and with all the major diseases that doctors treat: high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, clogged arteries, autoimmune disease, and and I put a big red word across it: reversible. Every one of these is reversible diseases. They all go away on a plant based diet. And then I put up a fairly inflammatory statement right across that same list. And I look out at my audience, my colleagues, which I love and honor, but that line on the across these diseases, and, and it comes out of my lips. You want to heal these patients, or don't you? I mean, why did you go into a medicine? You want to heal these people, or don't you? What What are you doing? If you don't really want to heal them and get to the root of their problem, then you're enabling their disease. You're you're part of their problem. You want to heal them? Then get real about what's why they're sitting in front of you with this disease, and it's the standard Western meat and dairy based diet. And and if you get them on a whole food plant based diet, most of these diseases go away. And you need to know that, young students. So that's what I've been sharing with my patients and with my uh, with my colleagues. Uh, the students are really open to it. Some of the professors in the back with their arms folded, not so much. But the heck out with them. They, they they they're trying to hold back the tide. And my noble profession's a bottleneck in, in this this uh, sweeping change of awareness that are that has to go through our society. The the politicians need to open to this. The uh, the the pharmaceutical folks uh, and the doctors certainly do, and our whole food system has to. And uh, I can at least work on the in the uh, theater of uh, of the medical profession, and hopefully we can. I can open, free up this bottleneck, and you know, where doctors, of course, ask about what their patients are eating, and of course, they know that plant-based diets will heal these diseases. If if I get to that point, I can hang up my stethoscope, a, a happy physician.
1: Uh, well, if you want to know more about uh, Dr. Clapper's Moving Medicine Forward program, go to his website, drclapper.com. You spell doctor out and Clapper is K-L-A-P-E-R. You can read all about it and you can actually help support it. think what a good feeling that would be to know that you were part of helping these young doctors about to go out into practice know that Plants are the way to go. Yeah, so- oh, Victoria, uh,
2: well, for you, uh, yes, Victoria, before you do that, yes, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, so the website is dot com. And yes, people are certainly more than welcome to make a financial donation. But I also, on the bottom right-hand corner of uh, that webpage, and, and again, go to my website, click on Moving Medicine Forward, go to that webpage, and on the bottom right-hand corner there's a little blue panel that says if you know a medical student or someone on the faculty of a medical school who'd be open to Dr. Clapper coming to their school and giving a lecture, please click here and give us their contact information. We will contact them and arrange uh, an appearance at their medical school. So I invite people to go to Moving Medicine Forward on my website. Thank you.
1: Wonderful. Oh, that's exciting. And maybe you'll come to New York and I'll be able Absolutely. to come in as an outside observer.
2: Oh, you'd be so more than welcome.
1: You talk about all this great stuff that happens when people start eating this way. And yet I don't think a week goes by, certainly not a month, that some celebrity who was vegan for a while says something like, I had a bite of meat and it was as if my whole body awakened. And it's not just celebrities. Other people say these things. What is going on there?
2: Right. Uh, I, of course, hear that as well. And I think what's going on has to do with how we raise our children. And if you think about it, uh, at age six months, the baby is still nursing at the breast or so nursing from the bottle. And with all the love in the parent's heart, your mother didn't know, my mother didn't know, nobody knew back then. But at age six months of age, that bottle, that jar of baby lamb, baby chicken, baby turkey is opened. And from that point on, three times a day, animal flesh is slathered on that child's intestinal tract, all through infancy, through childhood, through adult, through, through. Uh, uh, adolescence, through puberty, through their teen years, their 20s, their 30s. Well, you eat animal flesh three times a day for 20 years, 30 years your body will become dependent upon us. The the mucus lining in the intestinal tract will be the best mucus uh, for absorbing nutrients from this high-fat, high-protein, high-sugar, low-fiber food stream. Your Mm -hmm. liver enzymes will set up to be the most efficient for dealing with this cholesterol-containing, high-protein, high-fat, high-sugar food stream. The microbiome Uh, in your gut that you will spawn will uh, be the result of carnitine, creatine uh, coming into the intestine three times a day. You sort of make some nasty organisms appear if you do that, but people do. And the body, very importantly, makes these muscle-related nutrients. We all make carnitine. We all make creatine. We all make myoglobin uh, in our muscles. And we have the enzymes to do that. But if you're eating meat three times a day, as we in the West do, well, these molecules, the carnitine and creatine, are coming through the body every few hours preformed since infancy. Well, what's the body going to do? Uh, we can make it ourselves, but if it's coming in in the bloodstream three times a day, your genes are going to downregulate. They're going to reduce their own production of, uh, of these molecules because because the body doesn't want to make too much carnitine. It'll, it'll uh, spawn some, some nasty molecules. So we downregulate uh, our production of these muscle-related molecules because they're coming in preformed three times a day. Then, however, uh, at age 30 or whatever, the uh, person sees forks over knives, they uh, read John Robbins' book, they listen to, uh, uh, to Main Street Vegan, and they adopt a plant-based diet. Well, now everything's got to change. They've done 180 degrees change on their food stream. Instead of high in fat, it's low in fat. Instead of low in fiber, it's high in fiber. And very importantly, all those preformed muscle-related nutrients, gone. Now you got to make your own, right now. Most folks are able to gear up their enzymes uh, and make their own carnitine, creatine, metoglobin, but some folks, mm, those genes have been turned darn near off for 30 years, 40 years, and some of these folks have a hard time getting the enzymatic machinery going in the engine room there of their cells. And uh, they just limp along with, uh, with barely sufficient levels of some of these nutrients, uh, and they may do some physical activity, whatever, draw down on nutrients. They don't feel so good, and then they eat some meat, and and this preformed carnitine, creatine, myoglobin floods through their tissues, and whoa, they feel great! Wow, I'm a vegan schmegan, man, I'm a carnivore. Give me my meat. But what have we witnessed? This is not normal human physiology. This is an acquired dependency created by feeding a human infant animal flesh three times a day since infancy. No other primate does this. No gorilla does this. No bonobo does this. No orangutan does this. We didn't used to either, but we sure do now. We create this dependency upon animal flesh, and those folks who uh, who you know fall down below their levels of synthesizing these own nutrients when they eat some meat, they feel better. But again, this is this is you know I hate to use the word addiction, but on some level, it really is the true definition of an addiction is that uh, addiction is the regular ingestion of a substance that when it is not ingested causes physical withdrawal symptoms. Well, is that not what we are witnessing here? You know, you would create this true addiction on, on meat. And so the person is dealing with this. And, uh, and I have great compassion. because They didn't know and their mother didn't know and... But uh, what do these folks do? Uh, I tell these folks, you know, they may need, as, as certainly as they make this transition. They may not be able to stop the meat all at once. They may have to eat a small piece uh, on Sunday and coast on that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday till they may need a little more and take another little piece again, a medicinal amount, the smallest amount of body can uh, needs. you know, less than the size of a deck of playing cards, you know, small amount, um, and, and, and take, you know, ingest this uh, medicinally uh, and slowly increase the interval of time. In between each of these dosages, till eventually they gear up their enzymatic system so they don't need it anymore. They just wean themselves off and taper off. But we created some some official dependencies here. and and you're we're dealing with the metabolic karma uh, of this very bizarre way to to raise a human infant, which is a plant-eating creature. we We raise them as a carnivore, and and this is the echoes of that thirty years later. And so, I think it's we're looking at this acquired dependency because you know who doesn't? Uh, never says this kind of, oh, I eat meat feel better, you know, never says, it. the people have been raised as vegans since birth. Now, your daughter, Adair, she's not going to be saying this. She's a different biochemical creature because uh, she was raised like, like human infants should be raised on plant-based materials. And uh, so that's the real issue here. Uh, so I have compassion for these people. They're not, uh, they're not deceiving us. Uh, they're, they're victims of this phenomenon. and They got to do the best they can with it. And, and if they need to ingest it from time to time, I don't condemn them, but I encourage them to, to wean themselves off as, as expeditiously as possible.
1: Well, I wish they all had access to you, because you know what they do, they don't have a little piece every now and then, they go paleo, no, they Oh, they keto.
2: do, <laughs> ay, ay. And, uh, and they hurt themselves badly when they do that, not to mention the animals that they eat the planet, uh, but it hurts them. We, we are not carnivorous apes, and these folks are setting themselves up, for the paleo folks and keto folks, for an epidemic of colon cancer and clogged arteries and autoimmune disease and dementia, that this is a diet of death. And I've I've already seen my first colon cancer in a Paleo woman and and when those journal articles start coming out, Paleo diet associated with colon cancer, Paleo diet associated with stroke, Paleo diet associated with lupus. My left eyebrow won't go up that much because I'll say, "Yep, that's right. That's what. That's what you get. You put diesel fuel in a gasoline burning engine. You can't be surprised when the fuel line clogs up and the spark plugs fell. It's the wrong fuel. And we are not carnivorous apes. They feel better at first because they stop. They, the paleo folks don't eat dairy or flour products or oils. Yay, those are all fine things to do without. And when you stop those things, people get leaner. The weight loss. It helps their lipid numbers go down, it makes their diabetes tolerance, you know, it makes their glucose tolerance better. Um, So they feel good for the first six months or a year, but you keep packing that colon full of meat three times a day, month after month, year after year, that's a great way to give yourself a colon cancer. As I said, I've already seen my first one here and it won't be the last. So I urge your listeners, if they have gone paleo, get off that train, it's going to take you to places you don't want to go.
1: Thank you, and and that is the best explanation I have ever heard for what these people go through. Because I think, as a vegan, you know, lots lots of us just want to roll our eyes, like, how hard is it? But I, but you have explained sometimes it is really hard, and we need yes. to be able to have uh, some compassion for that, yes. and um, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully things will be changing. So you spent several years um, at True North Health working with Dr. Goldhammer, supervising a lot of water fasts. And I know these are extended fasts that are done supervised Mm. for healing of pathology. We also hear a lot right now about intermittent fasting, which I think is just taking more time between meals. But we think of that as kind of coming from the paleo world. But you say there's something that vegans could learn from that, too.
2: Oh, absolutely, and I don't know where the paleo folks come off uh, claiming intermittent fasting for themselves. Uh, you know, let's let's you know be biologists here. I'm sure a million years ago, literally on the African savannas, uh, our foraging bands of ancestors, there, there would be frequently four, five, six days would go by before you found that next berry bush with fruit on it, uh, and intermittent fasts of four, five, six days on water only were, were probably the rule. And in our body. Learn learned how to slip into this amazing gear of just burning stored fats and going into ketosis, and and wonderful things happen. Four or five days in ketosis once a month is a beautiful thing to do when the body repairs itself, uh, cleans itself out on a cellular level, that's wonderful. So I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting, start with just one day or two days on water and then no more than five days unsupervised if you're healthy, you're not on insulin or you have severe medical problems, but if you're a healthy person. Uh, intermittent fasting is three to five days on water once a month. Now, that's different to what you were um, uh, implying here, uh, where people change the hours in which they eat, and uh, they will get up in the morning, instead of having breakfast, they'll just drink water till noon, do their eating from noon to six, and then go back on water only. So they confine their eating to just six hours of the day. This this That's been called intermittent fasting, but it's really not. It's not a true fast in that way, they'll go into ketosis. Uh, The proper term is time-restricted feeding, TRF, Uh, and and it's a good thing to do uh, because that when we're uh, when we're sleeping, we're we're not eating, and we wake up in the morning. It start started tending towards that fasting state, and already good changes are happening in our body. It's a way to kind of nudge ourselves toward the fasting state. But again, you don't really fast because you start eating at noon. So uh, so time restricted feeding it's a lovely thing to do. We we all eat too much, and those hours not spent eating, good tissue repair is happening in your body. So if you'd like to explore time restricted feeding and just eat from noon to Six or seven in the evening. That's a wonderful thing to do. And I'm a big fan of that as well.
1: How about juicing?
2: Juicing is okay if you don't want to do a water fast. Now we're talking about a vegetable based, this is a green juice. With um, just a little bit of apple or carrot, so it doesn't taste like lawn clipping. This is not. This is not fruit juice. Uh, don't don't deluge your body with a lot of fructose here. This is, this is juiced greens, um, as I said, with a little bit of, of uh, apple or carrot in it. Uh, and that's a lovely thing to do for three days, five days. I'm a big fan of juicing. And those folks who are on medicines, they can't stop if they're on uh, the thyroid or prednisone or SSRIs. Uh, yes, those folks shouldn't water fast, but. They that's a great use for uh, uh, for those juice cleanses, and so I'm a big fan of that as well.
1: I love how you talk about this way of life, Doctor Clapper. That it's it's a celebration. You talk about these yes. things as being a lovely thing to do. Absolutely. It's not like I prescribe this. So, just <laughs> in our last minute, tell me about a lovely life.
2: Oh, a lovely life is one. Uh, where your food uh, and activity has created a body that is lean and healthy and takes you where you want to go without pain or shortness of breath. And that lets you do, get on with the real business of life. And that is to love and to serve and to laugh and to learn and to make uh, people around you as happy as possible, because that's how you'll get as happy as possible. We're not here to suffer. We're here to, to love and serve and, and learn and laugh. And uh, that to me is a lovely life and a healthy body lets you do that
1: well you have inspired the heck out of me so listeners if you know a medical student if you know anybody who has anything to do with a medical school let them know about michael Clapper, md doctor spell it out Clapper.com, and we will put that and all of his urls in the show notes at mainstreetvegan.net so that any doctor that you go to 10 years from now will be telling you the great stuff that we're hearing today from Dr. Michael Clapper. Michael, I absolutely adore you, your lovely wife, your incredible message, your radiant spirit. Thank you so much for being part of the show today. And thank you for being part of my life for the past 35 years. You rock. Everybody else, thank you so very much for listening. I hope that you are just as as bursting with inspiration as I feel right now. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for being there for us for almost eight years. God bless you. Eat your veggies.
0: Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.